0: This city has been stagnant for 40 years. There's been no major challenge to the way the city is being used, that every street is filled to the brim with noise and traffic. It's been that for 40 years. And one city after the other around the world are addressing these things now. Many cities have already changed, and it's interesting now to see that the investments of firms and companies relocating, they will go to the cities which are the most livable cities in the world and not the ones who have most cars in their downtown streets.
1: Hello and welcome to The Environment Show. I'm Phil Stubbs. Well, more and more people are living in cities these days. In fact, well over half of all humans on the planet now live in urban areas and that proportion is certainly going to rise. My next guest has spent 50 years studying cities how to make them better and more sustainable places for people to live. Yangel originally trained as an architect, but then went on to study the space and life between buildings. He's now regarded as one of the world's most innovative thinkers when it comes to city planning. He started his work in his hometown of Copenhagen, but has consulted to cities around the world now. Those cities have included London, New York, Moscow, San Paolo, Melbourne, and the city where I live, Sydney. I interviewed Jan when he was here to advise the City of Sydney Council some years back, and I've included this interview in our series on environmental leaders, as we're certainly going to need some innovative thinking if we're to make our cities sustainable in the decades to come. As for Sydney, it's pretty typical of most cities around the world – In the last half of the last century, it allowed its streets to become overrun with cars and traffic. I started my interview with Jan by asking his thoughts on how on earth we're going to turn this kind of thinking around. There's a real car culture in Sydney, isn't there, Jan? How do we shift people's thinking on that?
0: I have never, ever worked in any country anywhere where I was not told at the start of of a process that you must realize that we have a rather special relationship to our cars in this particular reason, so it will never happen here. Uh, And then when things have happened ten years later, nobody can remember anybody ever saying that. But it all starts with people being worried that the change of mindset cannot happen here. The same people who say this, they go on expensive holidays to places where... The problem of the motor car has been solved in much better ways. That's where we seek up to go and have a good time. And why couldn't we have a good time in our own city? That is the question, really. So I'm not at all worried about this, because I've seen in my hometown of Copenhagen how gradually, in our case, bicycling has become more and more popular. Now 35% of everybody... Uh, are using the bicycle to go to work and we have a much lesser uh, uh, percentage of use of private motor car than we used to have ten years ago or twenty years ago gradually it has shifted into smart metro system smart bicycle system and now it's it's considered to be much smarter to to use the metro or use the, the bicycle than to try to drill your car into congestion in a city.
1: And Can you tell us briefly about what happened in Melbourne, Jan? How, how was it transformed?
0: Yeah, Melbourne is a very interesting story because that was a city where, again, everybody said that you could never change anything here because we are Australian. We are born with a wheel in our hands when we come out of mother's womb. So that's how it is here. Melbourne was famous for being... Doll, it was called the donut, something with nothing in the middle. And in the mid-80s, they decided that they needed a heart in Victoria and that they couldn't afford to have a generally hated city center. And then there was a number of things done to upgrade the city. In 1993, I was invited to come and make a, a big study where we recommended a number of things which we thought based on experience from other cities could be done in Melbourne. And lo and behold, they did all of them, plus uh, quite a few more. And uh, 10 years later, in 2004, I was invited back to do another study to see what had happened and to set out recommendations for the next 10 years. And we found that there has been a substantial change in the city. The reason for the change is very much that there has been a strong will to reconquer the city centre and have a good beating heart in uh, in Victoria. Uh, there has been some visionary people behind this who have just adamantly kept to the vision that we cannot afford to have a city centre which is not beating and which is not loved by the people of this region.
1: Jan, yeah, I believe it's part of the health policy of the government in Copenhagen to get people to walk and cycle. Can you tell the listener a bit more about that?
0: I almost does not have to because it's quite obvious with the changing working condition where most of people are not anymore shoveling all day or bricklaying all day or doing manual work all day, but are sitting all day inside in artificial air, and then they use their car to go here and there, and finally they use the car to go down to the fitness center, where there might be an escalator bringing you up to second floor, so you can sitting in a row machine for a time. In the policy in, in a city like Copenhagen and many other Danish cities is to have a city planning we invites people to walk and bicycle as much as ever possible in the course of their daily day, because that is good for the climate, that's good for the noise in the city, good for the pollution in the city, good for the energy consumption, and it's good for your health. So by being sweet to the pedestrians and the, and the bicyclists, you hit five birds with one stone, you get a lively city, an attractive city you get a safe city you get a sustainable city and you invite for healthy lifestyles and all these things are things we are very concerned about at this time in history so having a city like city center in sydney which have stuck in the ideals of 40 years ago where the main competition parameter was who could get the most cars into the most center parts of your cities that was believed to be the thing to do in the 70s that is certainly not the thing to do today because now these five things lively attractive safe sustainable and healthy are much more sought after by the population
1: you've said your ideas are good for democracy what what do you mean by that
0: yeah i have worked for quite a long time in the Danish advisory board on crime prevention and where we have many discussions about how to make safe cities and one of the things there's absolutely agreement on is that it's very important to have public spaces and to have public life that means that people from all walks of life will naturally meet together in the streets and squares and parks of the city so that you can see what society you belong to, so that you can see your fellow citizens eye to eye in your daily day workings and going about your things. In a number of American cities, they have managed to kill the public life, so there's not a single person anymore walking or bicycling or anything in the city. They're completely dead. And the only information you get about your fellow citizens is through the television when you see when somebody has done some criminal acts in some other neighborhood, and you get more and more scared, and you start to stigmatize certain groups because you see them frequently in the television and think that all of this group must be bad guys. It's very important that we meet our fellow citizens naturally. And I think it's important for democracy that we realize that we are a mixed lot, and together we form this society. And uh, that we um, also have this notion of open city, that you can go to any corner of the city at any time of the day without having fear. Again, the presence of other people is always very important for your feeling of safety. And the city has throughout the history of mankind been the meeting place of people. And much of the culture of mankind has actually happened in the public space And still the public space is a very important aspect of a good and well-functioning city.
1: And you've got a pretty good job, Jan, haven't you? You go to cities around the world and observe people. It's interesting you've found wherever you go, the thing people really like to do themselves in city spaces is actually watch other people. Can you tell us more about that and why it's important?
0: Yeah, I think that that it, it is a fact of life that the greatest interest of people are other people and that goes right from my little grandchild who is half a year and who already have started to turn around in his grip to be sure that he doesn't miss anything going on in the room and when they're a little bit bigger they they will always crawl to where the action is where the other people are if something is happening in the house Uh, If there's a postman at the door, the little one would be rushing out there to learn and see. And we continue to watch what is going on. And throughout life, we watch other people all the time.
1: And Jan, uh, some people aren't too happy about your proposals to get rid of cars from the city. How do you respond to car lobby groups and others who say your ideas are unrealistic for a commercial Mm -hmm. centre like Sydney?
0: I'm surprised to hear that I'm advocating to take cars out of the city because I'm not. What is the plan is to free a single street for private cars and get a better connection between the waterfront and the station and also have a medium to drag, say, tourists further into the city and have more retail in George Street. So what we are trying to do is to have a higher quality so people will like to spend more time going to shops and going to restaurants and going to the services in the city. And like in Melbourne, I'm quite sure that when these improvements have been made, we will find that there are many more people on the streets and that the turnover is up, the number of jobs will go up, the real estate prices will go up. So it is known from Europe and a number of other places, including these studies in Melbourne, that in the 21st century, If you treat people badly, it is bad for your city's economy. If you treat people gently, it is good for your city's economy.
1: Jan, you've proposed some major changes to the face of Sydney. How are we ever going to implement them? How can we shift people's thinking and how do we get state and federal governments in this country to get behind these ideas for Sydney, preferably with funding?
0: Yeah, uh, I know that there are many questions about how city, state, and federal authorities can work together on these things. And I will not, coming from the outside, start to speculate about how this can be done. This is local insights, But I can tell you something. That is, that some people have said this will be very expensive Firstly, I would say that the vast majority of the recommendations we've come up with are very much peanuts uh, and not very costly. What is really costly is the big infrastructures we've made for the cars and made for the underground railways through the years. That costs a lot of money, but to pave a a couple of streets and squares and make better light signals in the crossings and, and putting more benches up, Generally, this kind of improvement is much cheaper than what was done in the 60s and 70s for the cars. But furthermore, I would say that even if there are costs involved in some of the things, that it is loss of money not to do something, because this city has been stagnant for 40 years. There's been a few cosmetic improvements in relation to the Olympics, but there's been no major challenge the way the city is being used that every street is filled to the brim with noise and traffic it's been that for forty years and one city after the other around the world are addressing these things now many cities have already changed and it's interesting now to see that the investments of firms and companies relocating they will go to the cities which are the most livable cities in the world and not the ones who have most cars in their downtown streets.
1: And Jan, I heard uh, your speech that you made in September, and all all the way through there were people clapping and laughing and cheering. Do Do you feel like there's a groundswell of people in Sydney who are right behind your ideas?
0: Absolutely. And I think it's interesting that one city after the other is now taking, I wouldn't say the same road, but taking a more humanistic road to city planning than the previous generation who took this road of getting as much vehicular traffic to circulate as much as possible. I think it's interesting that it's quite worldwide now and of course the climate concern and the health concern that is more and more worldwide. I'm quite confident that many cities will change.
1: You've been listening to the Danish architect and urban planner Jan Gell. Jan's research and advice to the City of Sydney did indeed lay the foundation for major change in Sydney, the pedestrianisation of its main street, George Street. If you're interested in finding out more about Jan and his work, I've written a profile on him at environmentshow.com. This was one of a series of interviews with the world's environmental leaders. Stay tuned for more. I'm Phil Stubbs.